What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. I hope you all had a great weekend. And, uh, you know, Eric and I were finally able to celebrate our wedding. Freaking COVID uh, put uh, put a reception on the back burner. So it was a good time uh, this weekend hanging out, or at least at the time of this recording, I'm, I'm expecting it to be a good time uh, because uh, I'm prepping ahead for next week. But uh, today's episode is brought to you by Mountain Primal Meat Company. Mountain Primal is 100% organic beef straight out of Colorado. Their Highland cattle is phenomenal and uh, some of the best meat I've ever... Who? Who wrote this? Some of the best meat I've ever shoved in my mouth? I mean, like, for reals, though, I do love their steaks. Their New York strips are worth fighting over, but come on. Their fuel sticks are hands down uh, my favorite snack. That's true uh, while I'm on the road. So be sure to check them out at uh, mountainprimal.com and use code Vanguard for 15% off. Uh, before we get into today's episode, three quick updates. One, or updates, announcements, whatever you want to call them. One, hit the website, buy some merch. I would love to see you guys out repping the show. Uh, it's kind of cool. As I've been out and about uh, last weekend, it was uh, it was super cool because I was wearing my shirt and people were like, you're that guy. Never thought that would happen. It was super cool. So it was a lot of fun. I would love to see you guys out there sharing the show. Uh, in addition to that, if you guys are interested in making fun of me or seeing what life is like behind the mic or beyond the mic, however you want to frame it up, follow me on the instagrams not only will you see what's going on it's a great place to make fun of me that seems to be a good place to do that which i openly admit that i sign up for uh it's just the vanguard project with periods in between on instagrams finally please take a second to rate and review the show leave whatever comments feedback just the reviews let me know a that i'm either doing my job or not doing my job and uh would love to see the show grow and uh yeah that's about it so enough bullshit let's 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 talk guns we got a really fun episode in the rimfire world so i'm gonna stop talking and let's roll it What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you tuning in for the first time, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, this podcast focuses on telling folk stories, sharing their passions, what it took to get to where they're at, understanding what makes them tick, all in the effort of motivating you in some way, shape, or form to get up and get after something you love. With that being said, today we're going to be talking about something pretty specific as we talk to Mr. Michael Shea about his book, The Rimfire Revolution. So we've been talking a little bit kind of leading up into it, and it's there's a lot to do, I think, in the Rimfire world that I don't know if everybody's quite aware of. So Michael, man, do you mind just introducing yourself, your book, and I'm going to interrupt you as you go. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so yeah, my name is, uh, is Michael Shea, Michael R. Shea, byline Mike Shea. And, um, I've been an outdoor writer and a gun writer for, for a minute now. Um, I did a lot of work for field and stream magazine. Uh, and I just recently came over to black rifle coffee where we're spinning up an outdoor site an outdoor brand, but I just recently, I guess what we were talking about and what led to this is I just published my first book. And it's like super nerd territory. Like it's a, <laughs> a kind of a, a subculture of shooting and precision shooting. And it's a it's a book on everything rimfire. It's called like called Rimfire Revolution. And we I got I got really hooked on 
precision shooting on like NRL 22 style shooting. So it's using 22 long rifle rifles to do really like PRS shit, like sniper stuff, you know, hitting little targets far away, putting lots of dope into the scope. Man, I just got eaten up with it. And I was telling some guys at work, I just came back home from Utah. I was like, honestly, it was like anger that motivated the book because <laughs> there wasn't, this book didn't exist, you know, which like is I, crazy. Yeah. 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 It, it literally like to figure out all the nuances of these modern guns. Cause there really was like a revolution. Like it's not like just bullshit alliteration. Like there was a big change about four or five years ago in the, in the rimfire rifle space and I just was hungry for the information. And I was up all night, like on Sniper's Hide, like reading posts or on the Rimfire Central Forum or in these like nerd Facebook groups. <laughs> and uh, I just said, thought, you know, I could, I could collate this, you know? And um, I don't really think of myself as like an expert on anything. I'm a journalist by training, a reporter by training. Um, but at the time when I got hooked, I was an I was an editor at large at Field and Stream magazine, so that gave me like a really big advantage because like I could call the guys at Bagara or Voodoo or Savage, and be like, "Hey, I want to talk to the engineer about this new rifle," yeah. and they picked up the phone like because right <laughs> um, you know I had the I had the the journalism in, and uh, it's really pretty funny. Like if you go to my author page at Field and Stream, like I, I do a lot of stuff and I, I still do a lot of stuff, but um, I was writing a lot about like bow hunting and fishing and, and frogging and deer hunting. And then I got hooked on this rimfire stuff. And there's like a year where like all I wrote about was rimfire. <laughs> and the guys are like, are you going to do anything else? <laughs> oh yeah. We, I literally had that discussion like with my editors, like, dude, we can only run so many rimfire stories, like chill out. That's but awesome. I, didn't out. I just kept running at it. And then, put it all together and looked at it. And this was at shot show last year. And I, I was doing a little gun writing for gun digest. And I just went to my editor and I was like, I was like, dude, I, I think I got a book in this. And um, it was the easiest like pitch process ever. Like my editor put me in touch with his publisher um, with the publisher of gun digest magazine and books and I sent them over some links to some stuff that I'd written for FS and they yeah. were like all in. They were like a hundred percent, right? Like here, let's do a contract. And then I Dang. spent most of the pandemic just grinding and shooting and writing, which worked That's out. Crazy. So what, what was it about it that, that I guess got you excited about Rimfire? Because I definitely feel like I've kind of seen some of, like I've, I've, been aware of nrl 22 and all the precision rimfire stuff haven't jumped ship on it yet but i've got a lot of friends that do so i feel like i was exposed to it to a certain extent during the revolution of it what was it that drew you into writing the book because it covers a lot more than just oh hey this is nrl 22 this is why you should shoot long range with the 22 there's a lot more to it in your book yeah, so um, the the initial hook was set through hunting, through small game hunting and and squirrel hunting. Um, one of my buddies, the hunting editor at FS, uh, Will Brantley, um, just like an incredible outdoorsman, and he he and I did a project, a video project, and I went down to Kentucky, and he's he grew up 
hunting tree squirrels, bushy tails with a scoped 22. Um, and I'd squirrel hunted up here, but never really hard and never, never that way with, with rim fires. So yeah, I guess to go back, like what originally drew me into the rim fire stuff was small game hunting. Um, I went down to Kentucky to do a video project with, uh, with my buddy, Will Brantley, the hunting editor at FS. And like, Will is just a outrageously talented hunter and outdoorsman and he's been sneaking around after squirrels his whole life and the way the way that's done like that tactics like I'd hunted squirrels before but it was usually because nothing else was in season or it was shotguns I've done it behind dogs and it's very kind of chaotic whereas this was like really slow it was still hunting right and you're sneaking in you're camoed up almost like you're turkey hunting and just waiting on a tree and you'll get the squirrels cutting and you'll see them come off the tree and then it's like draw draw a bead on them and and head shoot them because if you body shoot a squirrel even with a 22 you can with a 22 but you risk ruining in meat so yeah you know will and his buddy ryan like got in the habit of taking like anywhere from 20 to like 90 yard headshots on impressive yeah and i was just like this was it it blew my mind i was like this is this is rad so then i i got home i actually wrote a story will hooked me up with one of his buddies uh, an older gentleman who was uh disabled he was in a car accident and a a quad paraplegic and he would drive in on a quad into the woods and he had his quad rigged out with like a bot tripod and rifle rests and he would just park about 100 yards from a tree in the dark dark and when the squirrels would come out on like say a big hickory or a big pig nut he would just plink them right off it and uh <laughs> it was, and i was talking to him about this and he was like yeah you know I'll get out there 100 120 yards from the tree and i was like what are you with with a 22 and he's like no i shoot a 17 mach 2 which okay. 17 mach 2 is the is a, a 22 long rifle net down to a 17 so it's okay. almost like baby version of the yeah. a little bit better velocity out of that yeah it's it's faster and so it's flatter and that round will rise and fall two inches to 130 yards wow so like a it's like a laser beam and i'll never forget it i asked him about his scope and he put a big loophole target scope on it and (laughs) and i asked him i was like why do you have that much power and he was like i like to count their eyelashes oh my god i wrote this little profile on this guy and was like this is rad you know like this is something i could get into and i got on gun broker and i found an anschutz uh uh, 1502 17 Mach 2 they don't make it anymore and like wheeling and dealing I didn't know at the time you couldn't find the ammo for that gun. <laughs> so, so I got it cheap which was good and got it and then it was like oh well, now I can't shoot it <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's like feeling and uh I found some and it was really expensive and then luckily for me and for everybody who likes that round the ammo has come back they re-ran it about two years ago and now you can get it yeah uh, but so I got I finally got the gun I finally got the ammo I put a big scope on it and I went to sight it in at 
25 yards and I shot and I was high and the, the windage was perfect. And so I put in the, my adjustment, you know, brought it down and shot and just bullseye. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. And then I shot again and nothing happened like nothing on paper. And I was like, same hole. This can't be right. Yeah. Four shots. And I was like, <laughs> the, the, but I, I thought the scope was off or the rings. Cause like, I'm just a dumb deer hunter, you know? And like in the Northeast, <laughs> like, you know, if it's minute a deer at 300 yards, like that's the way most of my setups are. And I walked over there and was sure I missed the target. And then when I walked up, it was just like this super tight clover leaf. You know, you could literally put a round through it and the rim on the case would have held in the paper <laughs> from that tiny little set. That's awesome. And again, it was like, and it was only 25 yards. And like, that's very attainable with the, these rifles. Um, but like that level of precision and accuracy, like it just, it blew my mind, man. Yeah. And I, I was hooked. So how do you, so that's sweet for one, right? Especially for a rimfire, but how do you get the velocity for those so that you can start doping it out? I mean, do you just use a magneto speed like you would a center fire rifle? Yep. Yeah. Same exact, same exact setup. I don't, I don't have a magneto speed, but you know, I know lots of guys who use them and they love them. Um, originally I just had a Caldwell that mm -hmm. honestly I use mostly for my bow to figure out sight tapes for my archery kit. So I use that a little bit and then I eventually I've gone to the lab radar, which I really like. Yeah. I've heard great things about the lab radar. Yeah. But the, the other thing too, is like, you know, I velocity everything cause I'm a nerd, but you don't, you don't really, you don't really need to with like a rimfire small game setup, Right. Because it's yeah. very easy for me. Like I can do it in my yard. I can do it at my gun club. I can go out to a hundred yards and put paper every 10 yards and shoot, which, and as you know, like getting an actual, mark for a shot distance is going to be way better in the in the long run yeah that's true the velocity really is just the start of the whole thing because then you have to true it out to you know i like i like truing between six and eight hundred yards because that's you know a really good distance to get everything dead nuts on for a center fire at least that's kind of how i think about it but yeah 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 100 percent. and and what i was doing in the in the the early days and it's it's still really effective is i was using i'll use like um uh, i'll just use usually ballistics on my iphone you know yeah. rather yep. than getting my kestrel and all that it's just very easy and i would just use box velocity and then set my target zone for two inches so that's how i figured out it rises and falls oh yeah vitals to 130 yards and then i just figure out okay so if i want if i need to zero a mach 2 at 30 yards that gives me that two inch window from like 15 yards to like 70 yards yep so then when i'm in a hunting scenario i'm not doping for a, a critter that's jumping tree to tree yeah i just know like if he's close it's uh it, a little low send it exactly put it right on his chin right on his teeth if it's if it's like a, a normal shot it's a dead hold and if i'm like oh i'm really stretching it like get it on his ear or his forehead or whatnot um and there's a lot of i didn't i don't know if i, I don't think i put this in the book but like a lot of like the old books you get to like 
like gun books is a whole other topic. But if you go way back to like the twenties and thirties, there's some awesome, awesome books. Like those guys were really into it. And like the woodchuck guys um, would, would make woodchuck targets and then shoot them at different distances and with different holds to just figure out exactly what, what we're just describing. Like where is, where is the hold on the animal? Um, and really it's like max, if you know, maximum point blank range, it's like, uh, you, that's, that's essentially what you're Basically doing. It. There was a, when I first got into it, so I've got my Kestrel now, but I started using, I wish I could remember. I don't know if I have it anymore, but there was one app that I had that, that did tell you what the, what the distance was. Right. So the, it was for like, let's say you have an eight inch vital zone, right? Let's say for an elk or whatever, it would tell you how far you could shoot before you needed to even dial to start or before you started to miss that vital zone, if that even made sense. It's basically the same conversation, but it had it all calculated in it, which I thought was pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. And that like in, in the, in the hunting world, like that's traditionally the way we rifles are set up, you know? So like the, the sort of movement towards tactical towards PRS, like kind of the, 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 the G watt sort of sniper skills that have kind of trickled in and, you know, helped develop PRS and building a position and like all of the new sort of long range shooting tactical stuff. Like that's all zero at a hundred yards and know your distance and drop and, and adjust your mills or MOA. So you're dead nuts on that target, but like pick up any box of ammo, like just get like 243 and look at the drop chart that's on it. And they still all have it. And that'll show you a zero depending on the round. It's like 200 yards, 200 yards, right. Or like a Magnum, they may even say 300 yards. And that's the, that's the same basic idea is that was the recommendation, like zero your deer rifle at 200 yards. And it's going to be a half inch low at a hundred say, and maybe like four inches low at 400 or 450 or whatever it is. Yep. And then, so if you see a deer within a reasonable distance or in a rimfire case, a squirrel, you just know, hold and shoot, which is still actually how I set up most of my hunting rifles, especially like deer rifles or anything where I think there may be um, quick shooting yeah. because it takes time. It takes time to like run turrets and use a reticle um, Plan. Yeah, you got to sit there, right? Maybe pull out your phone, pull out a casserole, right? Be like, oh, range it, type it in, range it, you know? Yeah, it takes 10, 15 seconds to get it there. And that's that's a that's a significant amount of time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. I want to be, be able to look and like snap judge a distance and then instantly be getting the reticle where it needs to go and pulling the trigger. You know, I don't want to have to think about math when I'm in a a hunting situation. Yeah, that's fair. So when you started writing the book, was there an end goal just to share all of this information, educate, or were you trying to get people more into the rimfire world? Yeah, I think, um, I think a little of both, you know, um, I, I wanted to put like everything kind of up to date in this space in like one place, like it really was kind of born out of frustration that I had to go to, you know, 40 different websites and make 40 phone calls to get the, the answers. Um, I'm, I'm definitely like a kind of OCD person and like a technically mind, 
minded person. So like the original phone calls that I was making, I wanted to know how are these things, how are these things so accurate? And then I wanted to know like, well, what are the differences? So I thought about it almost like a a genealogy of like rifle actions and rifle companies, you know, like we think bolt action, it's all one thing. Well, like what is the real difference between a CZ and an Anschutz? Why does an Anschutz cost more? Why is, what's the difference between Anschutz and a Voodoo or a, a, a rifle built on a Remington 700 platform? Like how do they work? So I, I wanted to kind of get into that. That's what motivated me. And then it led into like, deep dives into these company histories, which, which is sort of the benefit of this. I, for me, you know, cause you always learn stuff when you start a project like this and like just the history that came about out of it was really interesting, but I wanted to take the reader from like, like literally the front of the book, it starts about like the evolution of guns and how rifles work. And we get into flint locks and match locks and, you know, the flow bears that led to the 22 short. And I think in giving people that like really basic history, like how gunpowder and primers work, yeah. you're building like a knowledge set. So we can then get really deep into, you know, um, what, what, whatever, you know, what the weighing ammo or lock times in action or like sorting or lot testing. Um, I think that, the the deeper in the weeds stuff is a lot more rewarding and accessible like if you start from like even if you think you know it like still start from zero so that's kind of why i wanted to take the book from like very basic stuff to you know there's a chapter in there about um or a section in there about charlie Terex and guys shooting 22s at a thousand yards and like it's it's real bleeding edge um, as you get deeper and deeper into the book. But I think anybody who's like, oh, shit, I want to try this. What gun should I buy? Well, you could not know anything about prisms or ELR and pick this book up. And I think it's it's accessible enough where it would it would you'd, you'd get the answers you're looking for. Yeah. Bridges a lot of gaps. It sounds like, cause I started to cruise through it. I think it was Monday and Tuesday. I was cruising through it pretty quick and it's interesting because there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I definitely, I'm like you, I'm not an expert in, in anything. And uh, it was a lot of fun because I had no idea really like, I had no idea that people were making 500 yard shots with a 22. Like to me, that sounds ridiculous. Like, I don't even know how you know whether or not you hit it because it's far away and it's a small caliber. Yeah. You hear it. You hear ding. You know, it's like you pull the trigger and then there's a couple seconds of hang time and then ding. You know, it's it's very satisfying when, yeah. it, when it comes together. So yeah. what I know that some people probably think, man, why would I buy a 22? Why not go rim fire? What do you think the benefit or uh, why not go? Center fire. What do you think the benefit is after all of your research, right? Let's say somebody sits down with this book, very open-minded. What would you say the benefit is for somebody to start or maybe get into rimfire versus center fire? Well, I don't, I don't think it's like, it's one or the other, man. Like, yeah. no, how many, how many guns do, do you have? You know, how many guns, like, <laughs> I don't need an excuse to buy a, a new, a new rifle, you know? And it's like, it's funny, like a lot of the rimfire um especially the early days of like really precise rimfire like came out of europe 
and like this idea of like switch barrels, like the CZ Anschutz, they all kind of have them, the 1022, where you can switch a barrel on to make it a different caliber. Well, that sort of thinking came out of Europe because they have oppressive gun laws and it's hard to buy a gun and it's expensive. So if you buy a gun with multiple barrels for multiple calibers, you can use multiple uses. You can squirrel hunt with a 17 or groundhog hunt, or you can target shoot with a 22. Like in America here in the USA, thankfully, <laughs> we have all the guns, <laughs> you know, we can, we can get whatever our budget allows. So like, there isn't really an, uh, I think a need for like a, a one gun to rule them all sort of mindset you know and like i find like like rimfire is way less forgiving than centerfire if you make a if you're trying to take a long rimfire shot and you make a you miss a, mess up a wind call that's going to have more of an effect than you know a, a centerfire shot assuming you don't have thousands and thousands of yards to to get out with centerfire they're also like and again this gets into more of like the technical side it's it's more difficult to make a good rimfire rifle than it is a centerfire rifle. Okay. And there's, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think the simplest way to think about it is like a good bolt action rifle is almost like a project of concentricities and of uh, precision, you know, like look at a centerfire round and it is a tube and perfectly centered in the back of that tube is a primer and the bolt is a tube a circle and perfectly centered in that is a striker and that bolt sits perfectly centered in an action which on the front of it has a barrel that's perfectly centered on it it's like rings it's like a series of 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 perfectly lined up rings well rimfire like right from the jump that striker is hitting the edge of the rim it's hitting it at 12 <laughs> o'clock or six o'clock or whatever, whatever, however the setup is. So right from the get go, you're having to, as an, if you're an engineer, design a system that's off center, you know? And, uh, and that to me, I guess is like, I, I just found that interesting kind of as a, as a, as a research project, you know? And I think that's why a lot of these guys, like, you know, I think of like Mike Bush at Voodoo or Dan House at Bagara they've gotten really deep into these as like engineering projects to improve because it's um it's 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 interesting you know i the, never thought about that yeah yeah the other the other side of it too is like i guess the less like nerdy answer is like whether you are a center fire long range shooter or just like a center fire like a deer hunter or an elk hunter all of the principles of good shooting and accuracy and like growing the kind of rifleman skill set apply to rimfire shooting, but you can do it for a lot less money. Uh, the ammo is easier to find even still um, in these current uh, strange times of ours. And uh, you can, you can get the advantages of shooting very long at reasonable distances you know like i don't i know a lot of people a lot a lot of people who can shoot 100 yards like if not on their property like nearby you know i know a lot of people who are within driving range here and i'm in the on the east coast um 
who are within driving range of 100 to 400 yard range. 400 yards with a 22 is spicy. Like you're going to know <laughs> if you're if you're you're going to have the skill set to do that and the knowledge and everything like it takes work to get there. Um it's very accessible like we've put the time in. I think most most rifle shots can get there, but that's, you know, the some guys a lot smarter than me have figured out that like there's like a 25% um factor on rim fire to uh center fire translation so like a 200 yard range for a 22 long rifles like equal to about 800 yards with a 308 well if we were at 400 yards with a 22 like that you know could be argued it can be argued a couple different ways but you could look at that as like a 1600 yard yeah almost a mile yeah and like it's i don't care where you live it's hard to find a 1600 yard range where you can go burn it up for the day but 400 yards, like, I mean, you can, a lot of people are within an hour or something like that. Yeah, no joke. So this is getting me all excited because I feel like I want to go buy <laughs> a fancy 22. What What have you learned that is important for people to know? Let's say they're listening to this and they're like, man, I want to go get a rim fire now. We get a 22 or you said a 17 Mach 2, let's just say. What are, what are some things people should look at or be aware of when making a, a precision 22 purchase? Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, there's a, there's several options, you know, and I kind of lined them out by chapter of like the different manufacturers, but I think the best way to think about it is budget. Right. So like ask yourself, like how much money do I want to spend? And double that for the optic or divide it in two by the optic because when you get into this stuff the the rifles have gotten so good that the optic is usually the weak link in people's setups i see it i'm i'm doing an nrl 22 match on sunday this weekend i see it in nearly every new person that comes along they throw all their time and energy and thought and dollars into a slick rifle and then they put on a scope that is, um, you know, has usually has a lot of room to improvement. And then the next thing they do after they go shoot their first couple matches is they upgrade the scope. So like I've kind of developed this general rule that you have to spend, and it's, it's not mine. Like this is kind of a, a known thing in the, in the outdoor industry, but spend as much on the rifle uh, on the scope as you do on the rifle. Yeah. And then I think personally, the, the, the benefit of rimfire is you can shoot it a lot. So I would take that same dollar amount and I'd cut it in half and I'd dedicate that all to ammo right away. So mm. if I'm getting a $500 rifle. I should be prepared to get a $500 scope <clears throat> and I'd include rings and whatnot with the, with the scope purchase. And then I'd have 250 bucks ready to just like buy ammo. So you can, you can really use it. And I think if you, if you think about it like that, and you want to get in this thing like tomorrow, that's, that's kind of the way to go about it, you know? And like, there are a lot of really good $500 rifles, but I mean, there are guys who show up at matches all across the country every week and they take people's lunch money with $300 savages. Yeah. You know, those, those like B series savages are hammers for <laughs> what, what they are, you know? And, um, you know, matching up the right ammo and getting the right optic. I mean, I have one, I, I really like it. So, so don't think like 
you know, I don't want to get a $300 rifle. I'd rather get a $500 rifle. Well, if that stretch of $200 means you're taking $200 out of an optic, like you're making a mistake in my opinion. Yeah. So what, what considerations, so I don't, I don't really spend a whole lot of time looking at 22 ammo, right? Mm -hmm. What, what makes good 22 ammo for competition? Yeah. So, um, the, the whole, price structure of ammo like what makes like olympic level ely and lapua and versus like bulk barrel like remington bucket of bullets and it all boils down to consistency so the more expensive ammo is on your velocity is going to be more consistent it's gonna have lower sds generally every good rifle needs to be matched up to its ammo so you can there's a little wiggle room in that but really what you're buying with better ammo is more consistent ammo um i had a guy um who was at anschutz now he's at taxol like one of the smartest guys in the in the space he drew that comparison for me as like, it's like wine. Like you can go and buy box wine by the gallon at the grocery store, or you can get a $300 bottle of wine. The difference there is touch is, you know, all the leaves were picked, all the grapes were washed. Like it's, it's, it's about human touch in the process. And the ammo is like that. Like I, I've been to some of these factories and where like there's a bulk ammo run, like it feels like a factory. And I haven't been to Europe yet to look at them there, but I've talked to those guys and I've seen photos and seen stuff that I wasn't able to put in the book. And it looks like a surgical room, you know, it's temperature controlled, you know? So like the, the temperature and humidity in a warehouse is climate controlled. So it's always the same temperature because that will affect powder and primers, you know? Um, a lot of that ammo, like Lapu is a great example. It's sorted at the factory. And so like the, the, the highest dollar Lapua ammo exact and the next one down Midas plus and the third one down center X it's all the exact same everything made on the same machines. But what they do when they come off is they sort them and they test them and they make a decision on SDs and velocity, like what is the most consistent and you're buying the more premium ammo uh, at a higher price point. They're, 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 they're putting the more premium ammo in a different box at a higher point price point. Like if your guys, like if your listeners, like, um, or a lot of bow hunters, like it's just like arrows. Like you can buy arrows with a, a shaft deviation of like 0. 0.0, 0.05 or whatever, or you can get 0. 0.001. Those shafts are, are perfectly straight to each other. And a lot of times it's the same shaft, but they just rewrap it for, um, uh, for straightness. That's exactly what's going on in the the premium rimfire lines. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot of sense because I know, I know how much heat and humidity all affect velocity, you know, when you pull the trigger, right. And it goes bang, but it's interesting to think about it in terms of manufacturing too. It all makes sense. But so you've mentioned on shoots, um, taxol, 
Voodoo, who are the major players in, and I guess also like I know Savage, Ruger, they all make 22s. Who are the alternatives to like maybe your big box names for the 22 or the Rimfire world? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Savage is makes a makes a lot of like really good inexpensive rifles. Then when you get into the, like, you know, the like $500 bracket, um, CZ, the Czech company, they're imported through CZ USA out of Kansas City are excellent rifles. Um, the the CZ 457 is a is a great gun. It's a switch barrel. It's kind of like a it's it's a bolt action of course but it's kind of like a 1022 in that you can really get into tweaking them and tuning them and adjusting them and building them to your specs which a lot of guys in this space get excited about um tika from finland like tika makes fantastic guns and their t1x is uh is an absolute hammer um for the for the price and then when you start getting up into the higher brackets, you get into like the Anschutz, um, German, you know, Volkortsen makes excellent rifles. Um, uh, Voodoo, then, then there's sort of the separate class, right? And so like Voodoo started the full-size Remington 700 footprint rifles. What that basically means, I don't know how rifle deep your listeners are, but the Remington 700 is a centerfire bolt action rifle that's sort of become universal in its dimensions. So if you buy a custom bolt action rifle, a lot of them are built to the same footprint or, or specs, if you will, dimensions, if you will, of the original uh, Remington 700. So that means you can get a whole, there's a wide variety of aftermarket stocks, aftermarket triggers, um, the barrels with some exceptions, the barrels kind of attach the same way if you get into gunsmithing them. So, um, so this company Voodoo came out in 2017 and their engineer there, um, Mike Bush, he's like, he's, he's honestly, he's like one of the smartest guys in the gun industry working today. He figured out how to use that same dimension and have it shoot a tiny little 22 long rifle <laughs> remington did a little bit back in the day with their 40x but the 40x repeater was largely considered a failed project it never really got out of the custom shop because it had all these various kinds of feed issues well mike kind of solved this and came up with that and he was very much a part of the sniper hide community online and he was making 40x conversions for some of these prs guys who wanted to shoot rimfire and he uh he sort of developed off those 40x conversions this this rifle guys in that community really wanted these because they're such incredible training tools so if you're a prs competitor and you know you, you don't need to reload. You don't need to spend money on components. You know, the rifles are generally less expensive, even the high end ones that will say a high end center fire. And like, like Greg Hamilton, who um, is like part Greg Hamilton and Sean Murphy are probably the winningest like endurance sniper match team uh, in the country. They win mammoth every year. And Greg's, become a buddy of mine. Um, I talked to him through the book. I've written stories on him. Like he's a, he's a wealth of information and he literally wins all the big center fire matches. All of his practice exclusively is on his back deck 
with a voodoo and a remix shooting a know your limits rack at 50 yards. So there's such a training advantage to using these full size platforms. And that's ultimately what voodoo and the Remington 700 did is you could take, like, let's say you have a, a center fire competition gun that has a Timony hit trigger in it. And it's in a manner stock. You can, build a rifle to nearly the same weight that's a 22 in a manner stock with the timony trigger you can put the same night force optic on it the same rings the same everything so you have a mirror image in something that you can get training utility out of at 50 yards at a, at a much lower cost so voodoo launched this thing on the world and this was really the start this and nrl 22 was the was the start of this revolution, this rimfire revolution? Um, since that, uh, a lot of other companies have come out to uh, capture that market and to kind of grow that space, which is great, and everybody thinks it's great because you know competition is how these things move forward. So when you get into rifles and you start thinking like, hey, I want a Remington 700 tactical style 22. You have Voodoo, which started it all. You have Bagara, who has an excellent option that's about a third of a price, the price of a Voodoo. You have uh, Rimex Zermat arms that make some really legit um, custom center fire actions. Yeah. I came out with a 22 action called the Rimex. You can't buy full rifles of that. You need, you can, you need to find a have a shop and there are a lot of them out there if you google it who build rifles with their actions okay. uh, but they're they're fantastic um there's another company uh out of canada i actually don't know where they are on the development process but ultimatum precision is building one if you have a curtis custom uh rifle bolt action center fire they make a conversion kit for theirs that's cool so, so when you get into that world there's almost like a separate it's almost like a separate category if you will. That's sweet. Yeah. I knew that it was getting big. I just didn't process. Like I haven't fully comprehended how big it's getting, you know, I think it's super cool. I see, you know, I've seen some of the really fancy ones. Like, you know, I talked to Scott Volkortz and like, I think last month and I've looked at theirs and I've seen the, uh, excuse me, I've seen the um, voodoo ones around. And it's just so funny. Cause like, kind of looking at it from the outside in from the centerfire world it's like why would i go spend that much money on a 22 but then the kind of as you talk about it it's like well no like i have a backyard like i couldn't do it. i live in the city so i couldn't do it in the city but like i go to my parents house you know and they've got 50 yards like i could go out over there hang out with them get a suppressor and then have a wonderful like afternoon out shooting you know it's so cool i think it's an awesome idea yeah, yeah. And the other thing too, like when you mentioned Volkortsen and they make awesome rifles, um, this brings up the the idea of use case, right? So if you're shopping for a rifle, like you got to ask yourself, <clears throat> like, what is the, the end use? So Volkortsen really has a deep history in like action shooting and like steel, like fast shooting. Steel so challenge stuff. Steel challenge stuff, exactly. So if like that's the route you want to go, you know, those Volcourts and race guns are are about as good as they get. They're rad. Um, they also make the Summit, which is a 1022 platform bolt action. Yeah, but yeah. they use like your thumb, right? Yeah, it's a straight pull. So basically you just 
pull the bolt back with your your trigger finger and then push it forward so you're rather than like a bolt action rifle has four motions right it's up back forward down yeah. well a straight pull is back forward back forward <laughs> really fast so like the you know maybe well it's not the most expensive but one of the most sophisticated rimfire actions in the world is the anschutz uh, fortner action and it's okay. the, it's only rifle used in biathlon shooting and that's a that's a straight pull um the idea there is speed but so back but back to use case like if you want to be a biathlon shooter like there's really one gun out there if you're a small game guy and you hunt in shitty conditions as i often do like that volcourts and summit i they make it in 17 mach 2 i have one in mach 2 like that is my go-to squirrel rifle it has a carbon fiber barrel super accurate super light it's in a magpul stock which is like i mean you could literally drop that rifle in a lake and then pick it out pick it up and blow the water out of it and go, <laughs> go kill to town squirrels. yeah yeah exactly it's like bomber you know so if like i'm looking for a real modern like squirrel gun or a gopher gun like that summit is is where it's at you know yeah, I was looking at those a couple of weeks ago. They're they're pretty sweet. I I need to I need to start putting together like a, a list, my wish list of things, so that I can start saving up because those things are fancy. What what has been? This is just an awful wall question, but in your research, what's been the most expensive gun? One that you've seen and two that you've shot. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, because these so things get expensive fast. Yeah, yeah, they do. So, um, so not that I've seen, but that I know about, and which I wrote little quick snippets about in the book. Um, <clears throat> when you get into like Olympic style shooting, like what's coming up in a couple of weeks, like positional shooting, there are these single shot European race guns that get real pricey. So, like uh, Bliker, a Swiss company, is one of them. Um, and I think when we were texting, you're like, that looks like a Mandalorian gun. <laughs> like, yeah. And like they do. Right. I mean, they're you almost like have to look at it to know it's a rifle. But when you get into that world, like uh, Gronig Elming, I think is the name of it. I'm probably saying it wrong. Is a German company. And like, you know, to get a dialed like 3P gun, you know, you're looking at like a $10,000 bill. And there's only a handful of places like in the country that import them. So you're probably going to like, you know, Texas or Ohio to to get that gun. As an interesting footnote, that game is a 50 meter game mm -hmm. and the, the, the barrels and the ammo and everything is so accurate at 50 meters. Like it's a level playing field, like gun to gun. So the advancements that they make in that category is ergonomics mm. it's how the gun fits the shooter you know there was a movement in a lot of these new ones where they brought the action back closer to the shooter's face and the idea there is you can hold this like rock solid position and cycle the action with less physical movement because the action is closer to your hand your trigger hand yeah um I've played with two or three biathlon guns before. I was fortunate enough to get my hands on on a couple of them. Last, I think it was last summer, and they are the goofiest things. Like they, they they look ridiculous, and you hold them, and it's like, 
like to your point, it's just like staple. You just tuck your elbow in, get it held up, and it's just like right there. It's super weird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're 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 designed for ergonomics now more so more so than accuracy. So you can get in that that stable position, you know. And like people who, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of people who get into that get into get into it through like youth shooting and like high school clubs and whatnot. There's only yeah. a handful of them left. So a lot of times it's clubs that have those kinds of rifles. But like if you are good and decide I want to get a rifle, like you're going somewhere and they're fitting it to you, like much like a, a fine shotgun or something like that to make sure that it's ergonomically kind of set to you. So those guns are, are really expensive. Um, I, as far as like what I have and what I've shot, like my current voodoo build um, is like not cheap. I kind of, <laughs> I, I, all the stops were pulled for that one. It's kind of a variation of the rifle that's on the book. Um, but, you know, it has a night force um, on top of it. That's, you know, three or $4,000 scope. So, yep. and that's not the most expensive thing on the rifle. So you can yeah. see how it, it escalates. Yeah. I um, sympathize with that. My, so I built my six dasher and it, it cost a pretty penny. Yeah. So the, the other thing too is like you like like shooters and like just dudes in general who like this stuff like we're all like super competitive and like 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 success driven people a lot of the shooters i know right and like i know you are and like your audience is and so there's like a tendency to like I'm going to get gear. I'm going to get the best gear. I'm going to get the night force. I'm going to get the best trigger. I'm going to do all that. But what's great about like NRL 22 in particular is like, you don't need the best gear to be competitive. And like, I write about it a couple times in the book. It's how I close the book. I love it when a guy like me shows up with like a, a voodoo that costs more than his truck and then goes into a match and gets his money taken by the guy with the <laughs> because ultimately those games are within within a hundred yards and the deciding factor on success there is skill yep. can you build a can can you build a position can you break over a trigger like do are you able to do your sniper math and figure out the shot variables quickly so like, yeah, like I, I, the motivation for me to even write the book was like I said, I wanted to kind of nerd out on these rifles. And I think the book kind of stands as the, the sort of guide to like the super nerds guide to the very best 22s in the world. But like, if you didn't buy the book and didn't buy a voodoo and went to Dick's tomorrow and bought a savage and a case of ammo and a good scope, and shot that fucker every day like you would be you could develop the skill set fast enough to be competitive in that game and yeah. that's kind of what i what i love about it is it's uh it's a it's a great the, that sport in particular is like a great equalizer yeah yeah that's awesome the best i ever shot with my center fire was a cheap savage with a cheap bush now but I spent so much time behind that gun that like, I mean, if I did that now, my wife would probably divorce me. <laughs> this was before this is before we met. And I seriously, I spent like, I would go to work, 
I would go to the gym and I would come home from like 8 p.m. to midnight and just snap in. And I mean, literally, it was just a cheap 6.5 Creed and a cheap Bushnell that, you know, I just spent time behind and it makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the answer. You know, it's a it's a it's a skill. It's not a purchase. You know, yeah. if you want to want to get good at this stuff. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I am fresh out of questions. Is there anything that you're like, man, I really don't get asked this and I, and I feel like it's important to share? Oh, man, that's a hard question. <laughs> super, super open ended. Yeah, no, I, uh, I think I think we covered it, covered it pretty good. You know, I think I've kind of become like, a, like an evangelist for this style of, of shooting and these kinds of rifles. And I just hope people who are, who are into this stuff, um, uh, you know, I hope it, I hope it opens the door to them. It's like, it's been really satisfying to me, you know, like I'm, my son is getting, is getting into it. You know, he thinks it's neat and got a, it's, it's a rimfire in particular. It's just an awesome community. Um, I've really felt that with the book coming out and like getting embraced, um, going to these matches, uh, uh, being a part of a crew, like building barricades and setting targets and talking shop on making the shots. And like, it's all just, it's all just very rewarding, you know? And I think like finding, uh, some kind of purpose that like gets us off the couch and like into the world and like into, uh, uh, an interest is really valuable. And I'm just grateful. Like, I'm grateful. Like I found this thing, like it's been a, it's been a rad journey, man. Well, I hope you all enjoyed Michael's, uh, Michael's story. Uh, it was pretty neat. I was actually cruising through his book that I alluded to a couple times in, uh, in the conversation. And I freely admit that, uh, I feel like I want a 22 now. So, uh, I'll be sure to link both, um, a link to his book, um, and also his Instagram as well. So if you guys want to reach out to him, feel free. Uh, but beyond that, I hope you all have a great Monday and we'll catch you next time.